Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host Pranav and co-hosting with me today is Ramit. Today we bring to you another story from Kolkata. This NGO was set up in 2018 and has scaled immensely and has made an impact not only in India but also in countries like Nigeria, Zambia and Kenya. Today we have on deck with us Parikshit Roy Chaudhary, the co-founder of the Edigreen initiative. Edigreen started as a means to make community service more engaging. throughout their projects in africa and india they try to use the principles of design thinking and gamification to make volunteering experience more enduring now more about edugreen from the co-founder parikshit himself hey guys thanks for having me over here super excited i know i might be a little bit sleepy right now it's just 10 am i just woke up but i think i'll be as pumped as you guys to come in and help out and let me share the story can you just tell us like how in the edugreen initiative what is it about how you came up with this novel idea right i think you described it perfectly right that it came absolutely out of the blue so okay. i go to a jesuit school in calcutta and it's very normal for our school to organize trips to villages where there are number of other jesuit schools and we just go and serve there or at least spend some time there and uh, it was back in class 10 that wasn't really 10 it was end of 9 before right before class 10 started and we went to one of these schools and we just realized that there was this one room where they had about 400 books that were kept and they did not use it at all so we went up to the principal and we were like like what's happening with these books like why are, why are not using it like it's just eating the dust in a single room and it's just stocked up over there and they were like hey you know what it's a village and nobody really reads harry potters and agatha christies and i'm like then why do you have them it's like oh there's so many people who come from the cities they feel really great about themselves that they've donated books they don't really realize whether we need it or not now we have to be like nice to them and take the books but they can't really use it so when we came back from the trip we were like maybe we can probably build libraries for these schools that actually makes sense for them so um, in 2018 we decided i just got over with one friend and we were like hey let, let's do this right let's just try to build libraries that really work rather than massive libraries or li- like with books that we people don't even need and that's where we started we started to study things like library dynamics and library design and we were like all right let's just geek out a little bit as well because we were people who love reading we're like all right simple nahi karenge let's also geek out a bit about it so that's where we started and then soon we realized that uh, we needed volunteers right and we needed volunteers to help us with donations and with collections and setting these libraries up in villages and that's when we heard um, excuses like are bhai like i need to go play cricket i've got a cricket tournament i've got this class i've got that class and we were like hey we have a lot of fun in these projects as well but most people don't get it so we were like all right maybe the problem isn't with the fact that it's social service but the problem with the fact that people perceive social service as something that's more of a responsibility for them to do like a moral obligation and something that's in its very core boring and disengaging so we're like we can only make this work as an organization if we can make service fun so that we never hear that oh i want to go to a cricket tournament and not come to an edugreen project and that's when we started that okay let's get into design thinking let's get into gamification figure out what drives engagement what drives interest so that even if you're doing smaller projects and not getting enough people we at least get people who are going to want to come back to us 
So that's great. I think actual R&D went into uh, the process of how you wanted to set up this NGO. And how did that, how did, how did that result in, I mean, did your gamification and design courses actually result in a better uh, engagement uh, from the volunteer side? I think when uh, we're doing design thinking and um, things like gamification, uh, what we eventually realize is that it's pretty simple. Like, Say, for example, you want to add an element of music and community and storytelling into your experience. You instantly know that that's a good idea, but nobody ever thinks of that because they don't know that's the way to think. I think that's the core part over here because after we did this, we were like, hey, this makes sense. It's always going to work because it is a good idea. It is an engaging idea. So let's take the focus away from the moral responsibility side of social service and add so many other elements to it that, hey, people want to come back and they want to be part of us. So uh, did it work? Yes. Uh, does it continue to work? In a, man in a manner of saying yes. Uh, do we think there's a lot to improve on it? Definitely. I mean, there's so many things. Uh, design thinking, gamification, basically uh, something that we're taking from the cognitive sciences and being like, let's make it more functional and simpler for a lame, stupid 15-year-olds to understand. Mm -hmm. So yeah. instead of doing cognitive science, understand neurology and stuff, just take it as a principle like a that works. Century. Breaking it down into simple terms. Right. That's, uh, that's amazing. All right. So uh, the next question we have is about um, the, the different approach. I mean, was, was there no other NGO in Kolkata which thought of this? And how has your reach been? And uh, what are the few projects that you've done uh, through the Educate Initiative? Right. So we initially started with a library building project and we soon realized that collecting 4,000 books every month is impossible. That doesn't work, right? There's so much, especially with school going on. So we're like, hey, uh, this principle of design thinking could be put into any number of projects. So we started with an experiential learning project because we soon realized that most city boys like us, uh, we get to go to a lot of public places, right? We can go to malls, we can go to parks, we can go to museums, monuments, all sorts of things. And I think that has an element of civic engagement that we have in our heads that is an element of your education, as well as like builds your confidence a lot, which a lot of underprivileged students don't get access to. And that was one of the first projects apart from library building that we tried to do. And I think that's where design thinking really started shining as well. Because then it wasn't only an experience for our volunteers, but also an experience for the students we were taking out to these trips and excursions. So if you're building a library by library, so the experience is more about on the volunteer side. But here it was both sides. We could play around a lot with our ideas. And for a very long period of time, that was all that we did. Now, after that, soon we started talking to other people from other cities. Now, I used to MUN and debate a lot. I still kind of do. I, I, I don't know why I'm talking about it in the past tense. But I still kind of do. And I was talking to these people and they were like, hey, um, I think your idea makes sense to us. Let's just try it out in our own cities. So that's when we started opening up in places like Bangalore, Delhi, Mumbai, had a few in Thane, Pune, Hyderabad. So it started growing very organically. But it took a lot of time because explaining what these processes are is something that's time consuming. But then soon we started developing the idea. I think the reason why we could expand to other places was because we were not really an organization that was trying to expand, but an ideology and an idea and a way of thinking that we were trying to give to other people. 
going into Africa was a completely different story because uh, we actually wrote a paper and we gave it to the UNMGCY. Sort of liked our idea. We started working on those then. And that's how we were starting to expand in Africa, uh, including Zambia. Zambia was actually a friend that we knew over there from the debate MUN circuit. Uh, but even the other parts of Africa have it very organically and eventually. All right, wait, uh, this caught my attention. Africa uh, and UNMGCY is the same as the United Nations major group for children and youth. That's like, what you were referring yes. to, right? Yes. yes. All right, why don't you just elaborate a little bit on the African chapter? Because I mean, sure, that seems yeah. really interesting. So, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah, completely. So I think uh, this is a problem across the world and the UNMGC was sort of trying to solve it as well about volunteer engagement because they also saw that there are so many volunteers out there who just come in once for a project and they're like, hey, like I'm never going to come back. Like I'm done with this. I've got my sort of my certificate i'm going to be done with it and they were like hey we also need better people right so when they were sort of trying to solve that we were almost like a we were almost there just in time and the timing was really good for us and it worked out and we tried to help them design projects and did any of the members in your organization ever get the opportunity to go to africa and see for yourselves as to how your oh, no. uh, process yeah. is being implemented <laughs> yes the sad part of that I think I'll just put up in two phrases. It's called COVID-19. So, um, <laughs> so, so when we actually was started in Africa, uh, it was during the lockdown itself. But otherwise, we didn't go anywhere else. So yeah, uh, nobody's really been to Africa and seen anything what happens. But we heard good words. And I think that's enough. I think if it wasn't good, they wouldn't bother calling us and be like, let's have a two-hour discussion. I don't think they are that jobless as well. But I, yeah, but I wish I could go there soon. Like, let the pandemic go. We, I think you guys can come with us, right? We can shoot a podcast right over there. Of course, of course. I think what matters at the end of the day is the impact that you've made. And I'm sure that was a positive impact in whatever countries you were uh, operating in in Africa. Right. So, like, uh, what I understand, you so, uh, kind of, you, they use you as an outsourcing. So, like, you take, like, the, you know, for example, activities. So, How would you I think I'll place it in a different way. Okay. Uh, there's so many organizations out there that we've seen uh, which stop working after two to three projects hmm. or they stop after one, one and a half months. And that's entirely also because of engagement. I think as founders of or co-founders of organizations, we also realize that after a point, we need to be interested in it. And we again realize that while everyone has that huge social motivation to do something good for the world, uh, it dies after a point when you're actually doing the grant work and organizing things. So we either try to mentor such organization and co-founders and be like, hey, we can do it this way to keep it going. Or organizations that are not working at the moment, we reach out to them and we're like, hey, sort of work y'all were doing was amazing. Like there are so many organizations that are doing with work with textiles and handicrafts and we're like, that's something which we don't have expertise in. That's also something that uh, we can't really get access to. But these organizations do, and they're unique. And so we don't really go to organizations where we could also do it ourselves, like for building libraries, but things that we that fascinate us and things that we've never seen before. We really reach out to them, be like, hey, you've done this work. Tell us how it was, and let's work on it together, and let's actually get this project going. So you've got an organization. It's probably not working for the last couple of months. Um, 
we make sure that it's working. We make sure you've got the people. We make sure you've got the process engineering to make it work. But you're the person with the idea. You're the person with the resources and the contacts. And which we'll never have. We'll take at least a year to develop these contests. You've got it now. Let's get it done. So that's one way we work. But on the side, we're also working on our initial novelty, which was building libraries and designing libraries that work. And initially, the problem that we faced, we can't do it every month. We can't do it regularly. It takes a lot of time. Uh, so I think we are still focusing on that. We're just looking at bigger libraries, better libraries in places that really need it. So... Uh, while our team is always working with these other organizations, we are collaborating with them and trying to make it work. Sometimes even we come with ideas. We're like, hey, we need to get this done. And then we realize, oh, we've got everyone already in projects. We need more people. How do we get more people? Let's just call up another student-led organization out there. And let's tell them, hey, let's build this relationship. Uh, you guys do very similar work because we've even collaborated on uh, library projects uh, when we've not had enough people to help us. We're like, hey, you guys do the same thing. Why should we work differently? We should be working together over here. So let's do that. Sometimes we call on them. Sometimes they call on us. It's all collaborations that we are also creating a student community that is enjoying it. It's not just that our members start getting the benefits of a fun design volunteer experience. I think that's what everyone should have. So I think I think everyone's like this closely knit um, integrated society who's all working towards right. community building and making an impact. That's great. Uh, just one more question. So you were talking about, I mean, whilst furthering your um, goals of you know building libraries, uh, you also worked along with other NGOs and provided them the necessary resources. Uh, did you require any funding for any of this? I mean, for building libraries or donations of books, uh, was there a requirement for any of these? Right. So uh, we do it on an entirely zero funding basis. Because we always realized uh, right at the very outset, I think this was a conversation I had with my co-founder. Uh, his name is Aryan Kanodia. So we had a conversation with him and we were like, hey, we won't get into money. Because the moment money comes into play, number one, there's a huge sense of accountability that you have from the people you're taking funding. Not like we avoid it, but if you're experimenting with ideas, that is not really the best idea. Because uh, if we tell people we are taking money from that, hey, we're doing design thinking and this and that, and if it's failing, if it's not working, or if they don't see value in it, we'll get curtailed. Are all donations that we get. Nobody buys the books. They already have it. They give it to us. Which, which makes it more challenging from a time perspective, but it works. Uh, when we're doing excursions, uh, most of them cost 10 bucks a person for tickets. That's something that we put out from our own pocket monies. And we're like, hey, it's not a lot for us. We'll put it out there. We sometimes ask the NGOs to like provide us with the funding. If we are taking their own students out, maybe they can contribute some money of their own. But we never take hard cash because that just means that we curtail our ability to think in different ways and implement whatever comes to our head. We wouldn't, like we, at one point, we didn't have enough money to uh, buy shelves for these libraries, right? And most of these NGOs or these underprivileged schools don't have the money as well. So we're like, hey, let's just buy plywood Let's buy screws and nails and stuff. And let's just make our own shelf. Because how hard is it to make a shelf? It's two planks vertically. And then you put like five, six planks horizontally. And you put them together. Right. When yeah. you think of making a shelf, it sort of sounds like a hard deal. But imagine seven people trying to do it. And there's so much confusion because nobody's ever made it. That's also part of the fun element. That you're doing something with your hands. You're sitting in the field of the school. Like, there was this village and they had their own little field. You're sitting over there trying to make a shelf. 
it was not working. It's not even aligned. Everything's messed up. And there's screaming, there's fun. And then at the end of the day, like we, there's a lot of fun in the process of making shelves when only three people could do it, but you've got seven and eight. There's so much chaos. And maybe the chaos is also part of the experience that we have. Maybe so like you make, you so make yeah. like social service great again, kind of. So, I mean. Exactly. Yeah. We, we just exactly. figured out like every project is different. Every library project is different. Every excursion project is different. Every online learning project is different. Everything that we are doing is different from the previous one because it's so nuanced and circumstantial. We don't look at that. Oh, we did it last time. So we must do it this time. It's just that last time we learned a few stuff. If we can do it this time, great. If we can't, we figure something out. Because that's what design thinking also allows us to do. You know, Parikshit, this sounds so fun. And it, it, it sounds so interactive. Sitting in Bangalore here, I'm, I'm wishing to be in Kolkata right now. And, you know, being part of the Edigreen Initiative. I mean, it's it's so attractive. I mean, if, if this was the process which is followed by most NGOs, schools wouldn't ask us to go and, you know, do community yeah. service. All of us would by default involve ourselves. Exactly. Certificates <laughs> won't matter anymore. Like, everyone would just go to do, like, exactly. have fun. Like, like, yeah. right, it's fine if you want certificates, yeah. Like, your life, you want it. Even the certificate should be valuable, right? It should be yeah, worth exactly. it. That's the point. And I think I really owe my Jesuit education to that. Because when we used to go to villages, like train, you got 15 people goofing around, you go over there, you're sitting around a bonfire, eating food, singing songs, whatever. And that's why we used to go to these projects. Not because we have to like go and serve in a village. And then we started enjoying it. So I think we got lucky that we could have that experience. And I think that's what we want everyone to have. So I think I think you provided a platform where many like-minded people who want to do something for the society have come together. And I think that's something which is really good and not seen before. At least I've never seen an NGO as such uh, doing such great work. Right. Uh, can you also shed some light on the UNMGC by getting back to the African chapter? I mean, what countries yeah. are you operating in? You know, getting dwelling into the details a little bit over there. Right. So it's kind of... Um, the Zambian operations are definitely not the MGCY operations. Those are what we set up independently. Uh, but when we do look at Kenya, we do look at Nigeria. Uh, we are just trying to create youth programs uh, that really work out, right? That really uh, engage the youth, that really tells them that, hey, uh, instead of wasting your time over a weekend or instead of seeing that, uh, especially in a COVID pandemic, uh, where you could actually help out a lot, uh, why don't you actually come out of your rooms? Why don't you actually come out? And by the youth over here, we really don't mean school students. We also mean people like under the age of 35 in general. That's okay. pretty much the idea. That don't watch Netflix. It's fine to wear, watch Netflix, but watch it at night. Don't watch it during the day when you could do something great, right? So yeah. um, uh, if you want to go play a sport, play a sport with our guys. Really, like that's all that we want. Play a sport with our guys, but do something else with them. Uh, if you're going to play a sport, play a sport with uh, a local school kids. And like, just make their day, make their, uh, and help them out. And then after that, like, maybe just put some money in and then like, organize a meal for them. I think that itself is social service. You don't have social service, need not be something that's helping them over five years. It's just instantly that's helping you. So even if you want to play a sport, do it out there. And that's the way we don't think about social service. We think about sports that way. We think about social service sometimes that way. That, oh, we've got children's day. Let's go and do that with the kids. We don't think of it as an organizational framework that that's how we should do social service. And that's what we are trying to get into the system. 
that social service is not a moral obligation. Very simply put, social service, community service is you being in society, you being in your community. And that's what we miss out sometimes. We live in these echo chambers where I would probably every day talk to Pranav and Romit and people like us who are fairly privileged, who are in schools and who are like very well off. That's an echo chamber that we're in. We're talking about the same ideas. We're talking about the same experiences. All we want you to do is expand that. Be with the people and you'll have as much fun, as much learning. And the moment you find different people and people who have for different perspectives and you can be at the same intellectual and confident wavelength with them, that's where we as human beings also yearn for. That's what we want in every youth program that's there out in the world. Uh, be it with the MGCY, be it with any other program out there. We just want to uh, curate these experiences. So for that, we will like look into the culture of the space. We will look into what kind of music they do, what kind of theater they do, what kind of art they do. Because every place is so different and we're analyzing these things so that um, if you're in Bengal and if you're in Rajasthan and if you're in Mumbai and if you're in Nigeria and if you're in Zambia and Kenya, people like different things. I think this totally changes the perception and image of how uh, community building or community services perceived in India, rather than just making just donations or like charity and like just donating some stuff and forgetting about it. This is like a long term commitment where you actually want to go out and make an impact yeah. personally, right? And I, I um, think Pranav, you're picking on a very important part there that you're talking about charities. I think charity, uh, if you look at how charities perspective are uh, conceived today. It's more about making yourself feel good about yourself. That, oh, I went and donated to these people and it's my social obligation and I'm fulfilling my social obligation. And that's in a very, I know this is controversial to say this, but that's very narcissistic. And we're creating an element of social service which is supposed to be so fun, so engaging and so pure. And we're adding an element of narcissism. And we're adding an element of privilege to it. That only the privileged should be able to do social service. That's quite the opposite. Social service is there to reduce privilege. But the way it's conceived is that it's becoming only for the privilege. That only when you have free time, only when you have extra money that you should do this. And I think that has to change. And uh, that's the problem today with social service. But then that's what we want to really fix over here. So, like, I get that. I thought that a lot of your activities, what an Edugreen initiative does, is based on physical terms, right? You, you go to you go to places or you design mm-hmm. things that happen physically. So, like, with the pandemic, how have you changed yeah. your, the way you work? So, that obviously, that question was coming, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I was waiting for this. Yeah. And it's a massive challenge, right? And now we are like, oh, are we, as, we were always looking at how human beings interact in society. Where is society now? Society is not just people, right? It's everything around us. Where is that? We don't have that. Uh, Instead of meeting 49 people, we are meeting one screen with 49 faces. That is not how the brain works. That's not what we enjoy. That's pretty fair. And that's a huge challenge, right? Um, And that's when we realize that, okay, when we're taking projects online, we we need to entirely focus on community engagement projects. And that could just be like, abusing each other. I know that sounds wrong, but sometimes that's fun. Um, you've got music going on. And that's when you are starting to build a community within the organization. Instead of trying to build a community outside it, 
with the entire world because we couldn't really do that initially in the initial times of the pandemic. We were like, hey, let's have fun, let's have games, let's have um, music, let's have imitations amongst us. Great. So, you know, a lot about Africa and how it is, it is working over there. Let's move to some of the other works that Educreen Initiative has taken up. For example, mm-hmm. Project Perverish. Like, as you told us right. before, like we've been chatting before, like it was a big thing, right? Like, can you just cover that once for us? Right. So Project Parvarish was our second project, which was the experiential learning project where we wanted to take kids out to different public places. And by public places, I don't necessarily mean malls because that really doesn't serve our purpose. <laughs> uh, but uh, monuments, um, churches, mosques, temples that have like real historical significance, not not everything, but like something that has historical significance, um, national parks, bird watching parks. That's what we did even a bit around in Africa. Uh, animal shelters sometimes, sometimes monuments. And we were all taking them there. And these were always almost uh, places that we want to go ourselves, uh, be it a museum or something. Because again, nowadays, who goes to museums? Nobody does. And we were like, hey, it could be a little bit of fun for us to go as well. The last time I went to a museum was like 10 years back when I was a little kid. And maybe I should go once I'm a little older as well. So I think that's how, that's how we were like, hey, Let's go to the places we haven't visited ourselves. Like we live in a city that used to be the former capital of India. There's so much to see out here, which we haven't. Maybe this is our opportunity. And then we're like, all right, there are so many others who haven't been there, like the underprivileged kids, and we can take them along. Taking these ideas other parts of the world, like the ideas we can really work on, because every city, every town has its own heritage, uh, including like in the most simple sense a village normally has a 150 year old tree that nobody knows about apart from the grandfathers and grandmothers of the village take people there tell them a story if that's the best you can do there are better things to do but that's the best you can do anything that's an engaging project for people as well when they're not getting that kind of uh, intellectual stimulation or take them to a museum take them to a lab take them to a church a monument Take them wherever that you get. Bird watching parks. We were, I never knew you had a bird watching park in India. I never knew that you could just walk into and walk into conservatories and reserves and be like, hey, we just want to like look around what's happening. But we did. So I think uh, that was Project Parvarish for us. Oh. And then that also went online. But like uh, that was a sad thing to it. What's looking at a monument from a, from a laptop? <laughs> That's why we scrapped it after a point. We're like, hey, pandemic needs to fix itself and then we'll get it started again. Like you're building a group of friends instead of colleagues, right? A lot of people come together and have fun. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the point. That everyone's a school student. Yeah, exactly. Like I meet someone from a different school and I'm like, Chalo, aajao, yaar. it's fun, right? Like what is the point of being colleagues and you have to be members and stuff? But it, we are an NGO. We're trying to help you. are not a company. Then we need to like pay people to come over here. So like anyone who wants to come, aajao. We have fun. You don't need to contribute a lot as much as long as you're contributing to the experience. Uh, if you're not contributing a lot uh, physically in terms of helping the kids out, it's fine. Like when we design a project and prepare for it, we we always have enough people to make sure the project goes through and is productive and actually. If you can come in and help with the experience, part of it, come in. Come in for half an hour. Yeah? You're having fun. We are having fun. You probably come for a project next time then if you had fun with us. And that's the point. You're already having fun. It's easier, na? 
फोटोग्राफर आ गया दैट वुड एक्चुअली केम इन फॉर अदर प्रोजेक्ट आफ्टर दैट and how did hard moving virtual world what was the we lot more physical and like you know going out of sorts so i mean how did you engage them online uh, what kind of courses were you doing what what not that fun stuff we really what we are trying to do with the online education program so uh, at the beginning of the pandemic there was so much confusion right uh, because number one we had a design process that we knew was working and now we had to rehash it completely we were like is there even a design process to have when you're doing online stuff and that's when the community side like the internal community idea came but even the projects they were very flat right uh, we had volunteers who were like teaching them things like meditation things like uh, story writing song writing music origami art all the stuff that uh, uh, underprivileged kids normally don't get access to all the time especially in a lockdown because we knew that okay their normal physics chemistry science in general their classes will continue happening like that's what the ngos there for but what about the other softer skills that we can work on so that's what we tried to do uh, i will not call it the ideal edugreen project in the sense that uh, it was not engaging project wise it was the engagement was internal completely um, but again that's the best that we could do because in an online thing it's very hard especially like um, when these ngos they normally have one laptop and you a lot of painting it sitting in front of that laptop oh yeah and then you are like this is hard and it's very hard to do it and it depends a lot on that one person who's conducting the session and normally it's like um, you've got a couple of people who understood the design process who would be part of the project who would just oversee everything and make sure it's working out but not every member knew about it not every member uh, gave that much time to understand it and that's understandable especially when you coming in new and uh, when we got these people to help out in these online projects they were new to it they, they did not know what design thinking and stuff is but there was only one them alone trying to conduct the class so it became very direct so that's a huge challenge um, and we are seeing that even more now that we are working on covid and we are working on resources and informations we just see how direct online is and again we always have to come back to creating the community internally so that it's more like whatever the work is if i see one person go there i have to be there to support my friend i have to be there because they're putting in the effort they're waking up in the morning they're staying up till late night to work and they can't be there alone and that's what we're trying to do right now and that's pretty much yeah that, that that's the online world the online world's not engaging at all as much as instagram is engaging zoom isn't trust me <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So now I obviously get a technical problem with um you know having one laptop and a lot of students together. It's not as engaging. That's fine. Let's slide less like not get into that right now. So I really mm-hmm. wanted to know like as you told us that you were working with MBBS students from Hyderabad, like that yeah, must yeah. be a different experience totally. Like working with actual mm-hmm. professionals like doctors. Right. Uh, so um, th- these are the guys. were the only ones who aren't in school and they reached out to us and they were like and they reached out to us long time back and we didn't know what to do with these guys they were like i like the design process i like the stuff you all are doing we want to be part of it like if you can let us know we come over a weekend we'll do something problem was this was also in the pandemic so we weren't having so we couldn't be like oh aaja or like have fun and just see what's happening and figure out what you want there's a problem with people who are at least 5 years older to you is that you don't know what they like 
you really don't know what a 23-year-old likes. You know what an 18-year-old likes at best. And now you're like, how do I put them together, right? And that's why we almost kept them dormant for a very long time because we were like, we don't know what to do with these guys. Trust me. And we wanted them, but we didn't want to make it a bad experience that they never come back. So we're like, we need to figure it out. And then COVID struck and uh, all MBBS students in general had to serve in the COVID pandemic. And we were like, we aren't even going to disturb them about this. And uh, you see all these MBBS guys, uh, they want to serve and they want to help out. They want to build their own clinics at that moment. They see there are no beds. And all these guys were like, hey, let's just pull in some money and let's just try to do something. And uh, when we hear these stories, we want to be engaged in it, right? We want to like, while we don't take funding, we know people who can provide funding, who can provide space, who can provide with outreach, who can provide with the information that there are these guys who are doing it. Especially when uh, in most cities, there's so much distrust also in the medical system that they're like, oh, the medical system saving lives, but they're charging a huge amount of money. And now you're like, should I go to a hospital and save myself? Or should I worry about the bill that's going to be given on my face after I get out, provided I get out? As horrible as that sounds, that's the reality. That what if COVID is that dangerous that I spend a lot of money, my family is in trouble. And what if I recover, but I'm in a vegetative state or what if I never recover? That's a real problem in people's minds today. So as much as the medical system is out there helping us, there's a huge thing about how much it's going to cost. And um, when you have students who are not even entirely doctors, but have the experience, have the permissions from the government, obviously licenses, everything. Um, that's when we realize that, hey, the people out there who want to help, people out there will do it for cheap. And that's what a community needs. And um, especially if you've got 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds trying that out, then you, you also connect a lot with these guys because you realize that, hey, uh, they finished their last year of college probably online. And they are still doctors out there. They need a lot of experience themselves. And instead of just going into hospital and taking off a salary, if I know these people want to do something on their own, I know for a fact that they want to do it for the good and to help people out. And we know we can't handle the big, the most severe COVID cases, but we can sort of help the ones that are still mild, but still worried that it can get worse, especially if they're comorbidities. So um, it's, it's fascinating to work with these guys because now these are guys who can relate to you at an individual level, so they can talk about social media. They are on there posting stuff. They can talk about the music that you like. They talk about the IPL. They will normally bitch about the IPL all the time with you. They'll be like, why did I? How, how on earth was RCB playing well this year? That's a conversation you can have with them. Uh, being an RCB fan, I was glad, but then the IPL RCB stopped. fan? You're an RCB fan? How does you know the club, club Parikshit. Parikshit, welcome to the club. Huh? I'm so Wait, happy to find Narsipi's finally. <laughs> you guys didn't win one club, okay? You should better support. Alright, uh, so that was a great conversation. Moving on, uh, next. Uh, so during the pandemic, uh, did you ever get cases of, you know, um, one of your NGO students or something uh, facing um, some um, anxiety or, you know, feeling really lonely and left out? Uh, because, I mean, during lockdown, all of us did go to that yeah. place at some or the other point. So, I mean, how did you guys um, combat that? Like, did you think of something for that? Uh, what was your thinking process? I think, I think during the first wave that we faced in India, we didn't really have that kind of an issue because I think there was this 
sheer hope that uh, it's going to open up. We are always like, oh, March me bandhua, April se we have school. Oh, April nahi hore, summer vacation ke baad we have school. Oh, it's June already. Fine, Durga Puja is there. After Durga Puja, we open up for sure. And everyone's thinking like that, right? And uh, I think that's how. And they were also engaged in a lot of work because I think we were at a very high pace when the lockdown happened. I remember, I think twenty third or something around that we had the lockdown. Twenty second, we were actually supposed to go uh, to a village and set up a library. And then it just got scrapped because our prime minister came and said that hey, it's Sunday. Whichever the Sunday was, the Sunday we were supposed to go for the project. We're like oh, we put Janta curfew. And we're like right, Janta curfew. Yeah, project scrapped. I'm sorry. So <laughs> that that was basically like there was this one person who was not being able to make enough time because her mother was making issues of like pandemic me jana, you know. And we had all the precautions that we actually did the project in the middle of the pandemic later on, and it worked out. Uh, but people were worried. And I called her up and I was like, you know what? Like your mother should be a BJP fan right now because like the project's not happening; it's crap. So that's exactly what I said, verbatim. But uh, yeah, but because we were at that high pace, we wanted to figure something out and get stuff done. So I think anxiety at the first instant wasn't the main problem. It actually came through in the second wave when we actually started working on COVID nineteen resources and on uh, like getting information out there. When number one, it was a lot of grunt work, so I understand how difficult it can be because it's not engaging to call up hospitals and get slammed on the phone and get abused sometimes and like not get people to pick up your calls or like hear really gory stories. And uh, that's where anxiety started coming in, and that's when I think the community became more important. That it was more important than ever. That at nine thirty in the night, when you're done with your work, to come together and. Um, Have a word with them and have a word with your team, and that's when even our mental health project started coming in. Right, um, we had this one person who was like, uh, "We should do something about mental health and anxiety and everything that was happening in the lockdown." And what we realized was that so many student-led organizations were already doing that, and it honestly wasn't working. Uh, I mean, uh, big ups to them to trying to try to figure that out, right? But we were just like, if you're doing mental health, you can either get a There were only two ways it was happening in town, uh, or even across India. Get a professional to talk. That didn't work because you can't make a one professional cater to a hundred people. That doesn't work. That really doesn't work. That's just a talk there. That's not a mental well-being project. Uh, what's the second thing? They were like, "Oh, we are open out there. We're always going to be on online, and you can come in and have a word with us, vent with us." And I've never seen one person actually do. I've never seen one person feeling anxious and being like, "I'm going to open an Instagram page that I saw two weeks back and call up someone and vent there." So we're like, "What can we do over here?" And that's when we took inspiration from these community calls that we had amongst ourselves, right? Because I think the only thing that kept us going through the pandemic and through the resource management was that in the morning we saw these people wake up and do it. We were like, "They are doing it. We want to do it as well." It was a sense of community, and that's when we started getting all these people who they were doing different things during the pandemic, and trying to create these um, late night conversations. We call it the campfire conversations, and it's literally that, right? It's a campfire without the campfire, but in the vibe of a campfire. That oh, you're sitting around a bonfire. You got maybe your dinner in front of you. You got like sprite, coke, whatever fancies you with you, and you're like 
chilling with each other. They're playing the guitar and they're talking to each other. And like, yeah, Red Bull for me as well. Yes, that's what I do. And that's why people get annoyed. They're like, after you're you're just too high on energy when you're on Red Bull, right? Everyone's like sulking. They're like just chilling, and I'm like, I'm that goofy monkey over there who's like too got too much energy. As it is, I sleep late. It's like middle of the day, nine thirty is middle of the day for me. And then I, and then I'm on Red Bull. So yeah, that happens. And it's just a really nice vibe that we try to create amongst complete strangers. Sometimes they know each other by face or name. But we just want to create a sense of community amongst all these students who are also trying to do work. Uh, be it musicians, be it artists, be it sports people, uh, be it people who are trying to make sure that online education works out because we know how problematic that is right now. Nobody attends classes. So like study groups, there are people who are doing study groups. Um, there are people who are working on COVID themselves. So uh, we just want to reach out to these guys and make sure that at least these students are mentally prepared to continue their work. And that's what we're trying to create a community out of. Just a conversation that we're having about different things. At one point, we went, we started talking about COVID anxiety. We ended up talking about politics. We ended up talking about philosophy. And then we realized philosophy is boring. We started talking about the F1 race that's happening this weekend. We've got the Monaco F1 race coming up. We were talking about that. We we're talking about, oh, no, 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 no. And whatever happens. And we, we at one point, we were like, hey, um, we want more reach on Instagram and there's this person and I'm not, I've already taken the name of the person. I'm not going to specify still who's like, I'm waiting for Instagram to ban me. And I'm like, why? Like you got so many followers that like, give them to us here. Like give your page to us. We like work on COVID and stuff over there. Like we get more engagement. Like why don't you give it to us instead of getting a block? Like it's the same thing. You will be off Instagram, but you'll give us the followers, man. Like, so, and those are the sort of conversations we have. And suddenly we realize that, oh, there's this artist over here who wants to sell her art and get funding to help people in COVID. And we just realized, hey, we work with people and hospitals who are working with COVID. And maybe we can connect people. And that's how the system slowly building. It's not that we know these people, but we just enjoy an hour or two with them. And we're like, hey, we should do something together. And once that happens, that's also how not only do we know that there's a society and a community to fall back on, who are always who are as hardworking as you, but also as much under pressure as you. So you can relate to them. You've got your friends over there, but um, you've got a community to fall back on. And that's what we're trying with the project. That is truly amazing. I mean, what you're doing and the way your organization coped up uh, with the pandemic and how I think the whole um, working uh, workspace of your organization changed. Um, I think that's truly amazing of what you've done. So, I mean, how do you feel coming from, you know, a small organization when you started off to the scale, uh, I mean, to what you are right now? And I mean, what's the future of the Education Initiative? Right. So, um, I was actually supposed to head up to college this year. Uh, pursuing two board exams actually happening and me actually passing class 12. I'm still not passing class 12. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> board exams need to happen. But yeah, I really decided to take a gap year. And go next year because I think at this juncture, when everything's online, uh, number one, it's going to be difficult for the organization to cope up uh, when we go offline. So uh, number one for that transition, when there's COVID happening, and I think it's very unfair of me to say that I want to head off to a different country and go for college, uh, go for college uh, because I think college can wait, right? It can happen a year later, but COVID's not like COVID's got to be worked on now. And I think. Um, 
I know people are going to work on COVID, but I don't know if they'll be able to do it sustainably over a period of time. And that's why I need to stay back and just be there to make things work. Uh, I don't think something like a Hyderabad project, like clinics and stuff would happen um, if I wasn't aware that there are so many people. Because if I hand in the reins of Edubrain to the people who are a little younger to me to carry it on, they don't know the stuff that I know over the last two years. They don't know the people I know. They don't know that um, if I have to do a project in this city that we already know people that we can reach out to and find a base. They don't know all these people, but I do. And I think that's important for me to stay back and also give it an organizational framework now that uh, it can continue for years together. Because that was my ambition for class 12 that uh, before I head off to college, I create a structure where uh, it's going to continue over and over and I can be at the I can be on the side and advise them and talk to them and mentor them and make sure it's running, but I can't be hands-on because college is stressful. Um, but that didn't happen in class 12 because of the pandemic. So I need to take that extra year off and figure out how that's happening. So I'm staying back for the year. And then we've got an amazing core team. We've got a core team of class 10 students who are trying to figure out what design thinking is. We're trying to get a grip on how the projects work. We're trying to get a grip on how the scale of the organization works and how they perceive it. But I think, Parishit, no, wait, well, I think one thing which is supposed to be noted here is that, you know, while class was going on, you were still committed to Edigreen. At the same time, when I had classes, like we both are in 12, but you were doing Edigreen, I was doing Prime Video on Netflix. So like, that, that's, that's a big difference. <laughs> that's about design thinking. We were having fun doing it. I wasn't doing Edigreen because I had to. I was doing it because that was a fun thing to do over here. So Pranav, I think next time, tell all your juniors to join Edigreen. We'll do something sure. in Bangalore. And um, we are going to make online classes fun by not attending them. If your teachers come after me, I do not know. This was never <laughs> said. It's your fault. <laughs> I'm not I telling you. I'm going to be a first sign up uh, um, from this podcast viewers list as soon Raja. as this call gets over. If we are going to Ladakh. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're going to take me to Ladakh. Yeah. 100%. Like, let COVID go away. Go to First train, flight, whatever to Ladakh. Yeah. Let's go. Talk to Talk to everyone. Talk to the Ladakh people. Talk get podcast done. Ladakh's a fascinating place to talk to if you know what I mean. You got a lot of stuff going on over there. So yeah, it'll be fun. Let's go. Let's complete go. Only if you sponsor all the Red Bull or get Red Bull to sponsor. Otherwise, I'm not taking it. You have sure, to get sure. Red Bull. Yeah. We'll try get our best. The, get the sponsorship done, then we can. We'll send out cold meals like how you did to the UN. You're like, yeah, please. Just, this is our process. <laughs> <laughs> our process is red gold. Our process is red gold. That's it. That should be our new tagline. I'm going to go and change the Instagram bio. Our process is red gold. <laughs> if you all can get the sponsorship, first get it first. But yeah, we can do that. We're calling in, calling them right now after this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, right. please. And if you can get Max Verstappen on a video call with us, even better. Like from the Red Bull race. Got <laughs> a race on Sunday. Can he can he come today? Like please. If you this can is, this is like revenge, you know, Parik. Like you made me sit here for one hour and question me about my my NGO. So I'm gonna get you guys to yes. do all the things for me. <laughs> yes, that's what yeah. MUNs do. You shouldn't have picked up the topic of MUNs. <laughs> now you know why I do MUNs. <laughs> this is the MUN experience. But yeah, great man. So, okay, wait. Uh, I think we'll stop the recording. All right, wait. I just say thank you. So much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Yeah. Uh, so, wait. all right. Thank you, Parikshit, uh, for being here with us. Uh, we had a great time. I think uh, Ramit and I really learned a lot from the Alligreen Initiative, and I hope our listeners too really take off some good points and do get inspired to actually uh, involve themselves uh, in community service, not because they're forced to, but because they actually want to do it. And uh, I think, yeah, it's it's been a great time we had. Um, <laughs> so, thank you.